0: Let's turn our attention back to the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting close to the end, aren't we? Just three or four more sermons on this. Then it's going to be time to talk about a few other things. We've been listening to Jesus over the last couple of weeks talking, well, really over many, many weeks talking about life in the kingdom of God. But specifically in the past couple of weeks, the past couple of passages that we've listened to, he's been speaking about people who who haven't entered the kingdom yet. Some of the challenges that folks face on their journey into the kingdom. One of the most important lessons I hope that we've heard over the last few weeks is that those of us who are already citizens of God's kingdom need to do everything we can in order to help others enter the kingdom as well. But, This is kind of esoteric language, isn't it? Like, enter the kingdom. Like, what exactly do we mean by that? What exactly is somebody supposed to do in order to gain entry into the kingdom? Is it really as simple as joining a church or getting baptized in water, as we just talked about? Is it really as simple as just hanging out with the religious crowd? Uh, we, We sometimes say, oh, there's a bunch of people that look like they got it all together. They must be godly sorts. I think I'll just kind of hang out with them and and, and try and blend in with them. Not surprisingly, Jesus' instructions are quite a bit more nuanced than that. And surprisingly, perhaps, he has a warning for those that are thinking that the way to handle this is to follow the crowd. Listen to what Jesus says. It's going to be short and sweet this week. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says these words. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I wonder if you've ever wondered, how many people are there in the kingdom of God? How many people are there in the kingdom of heaven? We use those terms more or less interchangeably. Uh, I don't like to talk about uh, this sort of thing in terms of how many folks are going to heaven, as you probably know and have heard me say before, because I get worried sometimes when we only talk about going to heaven that we miss out on the totality and the fullness of what the gospel message really is. But just for this purpose, let's keep it simple. Keep it simple, Dan, right? So I wonder, have you ever wondered how many people are going to heaven? How many people are going to heaven? Uh, Statisticians tell us there's close to just about eight billion people in the world today. And they estimate that about 2.3 billion of them follow some form of Christianity. Now in that 2.3 billion, you've got Christians of all shapes, sizes, and flavors, uh, all different denominations, You've also got um, Christian cults. You've got people who attend a Christian church but haven't themselves really made any sort of decision for Christ or any commitment to their faith. You've got a lot of things going on in that 2.3 billion. So I think it'd be easy for a lot of us to say, well, it's probably not all 2.3 billion of them. But let's take a step back because the world's been around a long time, right? How many people have ever existed? Every soul that has ever existed is precious to God. How many people have ever been on this planet? Of course, there's no way to know for sure. A number of studies that I I read point to numbers north of 100 billion. Uh, Let's just keep the math easy here. Let's say it's 100 billion. Let's say from the dawn of time until today, 100 billion people have been alive. How many of them do you think made it into heaven? I mean, the percentages are easy if we're dealing with 100 billion, right? Do you you think it's 25 billion? Do you think it's more? Do you think it's less in the olden days? Do you think it was more than it is now? Or do you think it was, is it just me? Or has anybody ever wondered about this? Let me zoom it in one layer, one layer deeper than that. What about at your workplace? And if you're retired, think about the place you used to work. Between you and me, how many of those folks are making even have? Cat Hall, I don't want you to answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When we look at the world around us, I I think there's questions about just how expansive is what we call the kingdom of God, the kingdom of of heaven. Here's what I think about that. And I'm I'm not gonna hazard a guess. I'm not gonna hazard a guess. I'm just gonna say this. No matter how you do the math, if we take Jesus at his word when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, if, if we take that as, well, there it is, right there, the, that's how this happens. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we take that at face value, I think it would be very difficult for you to convince me that the percentage is above 50. I think it would be very difficult for you to convince me that we're really talking about the majority of human beings here. You might disagree with me, but but that's where I am on that. If we take Jesus at his word, I mean, it'd be hard to argue that we're dealing with a majority when we talk about people that we could look at and and just very plainly and obviously say, ah, there's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But here's what's interesting about that to me. I think that most people think they're on the right path. You follow what I'm saying? Most people think they're on the right path. Most Christians think they're on the right path. Most Muslims think they're on the right path. Most atheists think they're on the right path. Most people who, and this is the biggest growing, quickest growing religious sect in society today, nothing in particular. We, we call them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not the N-U-N-S, right? The nuns, I think the nuns think they're on the right path. Most people are living the life they're living because they believe it's the right way to live, or at least, at the very least, it's good enough, right? It's good enough. I'm not the perfect Christian, but it's good enough. I'm not the perfect this, I'm not the perfect that, but it's good enough. In my experience, it's rare to find somebody who believes in God, really earnestly believes in God, really earnestly believes that they are far away from God, but they just don't care. It's rare to find people who just don't care. They might be discouraged. They might think there's nothing they can do about it. But it's rare to find that person who really just couldn't care less. The crowd seems to think they're all headed in the right direction. And this is the musing, the wondering that I think Jesus is playing with when he says what he says. He's painting us a picture of this phenomenon. He's saying life is a highway and I want to ride it all night long. And if you're going my way, I want to drive it all night long. uh, There we go. I'm sorry. I just can't help myself sometimes. But that's what he's talking about, isn't it? Like Jesus is channeling his inner rascal flats in this moment. He's talking about a journey of life down a road. The road that we're on. This is the the picture that he paints. (laughs) I'm sorry. Alex Beer is just sitting in the back shaking his head at me like this. Like you've never been more disappointed than me, have you, Alex? (laughs) Thank you. There you go. The road that Jesus is describing leads us to a broad entryway, and it's got wide gates that are flung wide open, open doors, and and you can see that people are entering into this entryway freely and comfortably. Some are walking, some are running, some are skipping, some are riding their bikes, there's a couple of dudes on longboards, there's cars, there's trucks. a helicopter swoops in. You can get in that gate any way you want, in whatever condition you present yourself in. Sounds pretty nice, right? But but look a little bit more closely, Jesus says, in your mind's eye. Imagine that scene and then look a little bit more closely off to the side. There's a narrow, rugged footpath and you can't take any kind of vehicle down that path and you certainly shouldn't run barefoot across it because it's not paved and and there are thick kind of prickly bushes on either side. So if you do walk along it, you have to really, really watch where you're going. And at the end of that path, you see a small, narrow, old, rickety door. And you can tell just by looking at that door. If I get all the way to that door and try to go in, I'm probably going to have to duck my head down or I'm going to hit my head on the crossbeam. It seems to lead, that door does, to the very same places, that wide open gate. But it's just a lot harder to get there. Can you picture all that in your mind? Now listen to what Jesus says about it. It's verse 13. You see it on the screen. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. When he says narrow gate, it makes me think about how we board airplanes, right? You know what I'm talking about, the narrow jetway. I'm, I'm a impatient traveler. I don't like to wait. And so, you know, invariably it's like, well, board with your group and your group 843, you know, and then you, by the time you get there, the line's already backed up. And now you're, have you ever been stuck on one of those jetways on a warm day and like the air conditioning isn't running and you, and you know, there's just like no way to get there. Everybody's crammed into that gate, and then when you finally the jetway, rather, when you finally get to the threshold of the plane, there's that one teeny tiny door on the airplane. And if you're a big guy like me, and you're carrying your your, your carry-ons and everything else, and trying to make sure you got your family with you and everything, you kind of get. It feels like you're getting into a submarine. Sometimes, right? And we all go through. And the thing about the plane is, once you're in the plane, there's all kinds of different options. It's class warfare and commercial airlines, isn't it? But it doesn't matter in terms of getting on the plane. You could be first class, you could be business class, or you could have a middle seat in the back. And coach, right next to the laboratory. doesn't matter. Everybody's getting on the plane through the same doorway. Everybody shuffles single file down that same narrow aisle. Everybody has to stop and wait when somebody says, excuse me, I have the window seat. Could you all get up and move? It? Now we all have to stop and wait. And I, it doesn't matter if you're a first-time flyer or if you're a Platinum Rewards member. It doesn't even matter if you're the pilot. There's only one way to get onto that plane. Everybody boards the same way. And then you get to your seat. Did you ever get to your seat and look out the window and see that they were bringing the luggage to, to load onto the plane? Or maybe the plane at the gate next to you? Did you ever watch that? Can I tell you something? I'm, I'm jealous of luggage. I'm jealous of the luggage. I wish I were a suitcase in that moment. Because the suitcases got a ride to the plane. They didn't have to walk down the narrow jetway. They got a ride. And when they got to the plane, um, somebody lifted them up and put them on a conveyor belt. that just kind of raised them up towards the plane. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't even have a walk. They just put me on the suitcases get to go where they're going. And when they get up to the plane, there's a great big wide cargo bay door that's just wide open. And the suitcases don't have to check their boarding pass and see if they have an aisle seat or a middle seat. The suitcases don't have to wait while somebody else gets up and gets down and uses the lavatory. I mean, good grief, we were just in the gate. you Couldn't go then, right? The suitcases don't have to deal with any of that. In that moment, I become very jealous of luggage I wish I could enter a plane, like my luggage enters the plane. But alas, no. Because no matter who you are, there's only one way to enter a passenger jet. It's, it's through the narrow door. And that's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom. There's only one way to enter the kingdom. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you think is stamped on your ticket. There's only one way to enter the kingdom. There's a common religious philosophy. It says, no matter what you believe, as long as you do it earnestly, as long as you practice it faithfully, you will find God. Are you Muslim? Be a faithful Muslim. Are you Christian? Be a faithful Christian. Are you a Hindu? Be a faithful Hindu. Are you one of those, those nuns, the nothing in particulars, right? Well, just do that with all your heart and be, be good about it and be earnest and be faithful, you will find God. Whatever you do, if you do it from your heart, you're okay. And in essence, this philosophy is a way of trying to say all religions are equally right. We call it universalism. But there's a logical problem, we call it a fallacy with universalism. The problem is that in its effort to affirm all religions, it has to ignore what most of those religions are actually saying. Because most world religions, including as we've just identified Christianity here, most world religions have some claim to exclusivity. Most world religions at some level say this is the only way. Don't do it like they do it, only do it like we do it. Most world religions would say that, and so if we from the outside look and say hey, we're just trying to affirm that all religions are right, in order to do that, you have to ignore what the religions themselves are actually saying. Any effort to say all religions are, are right actually is saying all religions are wrong. It's this weird form of, of atheism that just denies that there is anything called God. Jesus is very, very clear He's clear here and he's clear elsewhere that there is only one way to enter the kingdom. You can earnestly try to get on that plane through the cargo hold like I I want to do. You can try and crawl through the pilot's front window. You can try and skimmy your way through the jet engine if you think that would work. You can try anything you want. You can be as sincere and kind-hearted as you want about it. You are not getting on that plane. There is only one way to get on the plane. And it's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand that because without that knowledge, without that understanding, There's no urgency. There's no reason to listen to the teachings of Jesus at all. There's no reason to pay any attention to Jesus. We might as well just go eat chili and go home. Unless we recognize there is only one way in. If all roads lead to heaven, or nirvana, or inner peace, or self-actualization, or whatever you want to call it, if all roads lead that way, then you do you, I'll do me, and we'll just go on But what if? What if Jesus is telling the truth? You ever wonder that? What if if Jesus actually means what he says? What if Jesus is actually telling the truth? What if there really only is one true gateway? And what if it's not the one that seems the most obvious? Well, if that's true, then we need to learn as much as we can. Fortunately, Jesus describes the gate for us. Unfortunately, his description isn't the most encouraging thing I've ever read. It comes in verse 14 of chapter seven. He says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Are you looking for life? You're looking for life in Christ? You're looking for a small gate with a narrow road leading up to it. That's the description he gives us. Small gate with a narrow road. Just a second, I kind of want to unpack that word narrow because it, it has some nuance there in the way Jesus uses it in his language. Uh, it's not just that it's a narrow, like a balance beam or something like that. He's saying it, it's restricted. Uh, actually, there's this idea of it being kind of confining and, and annoyingly so. It's why when I painted the picture for you in my own words, I said, imagine that the path is surrounded by prickly thorn bushes. It's not that there's a wall there that you can't get out or that holds you in. It's that if you deviate, it's just not going to be very nice. It's kind of rough. It's kind of like hold your breath and squeeze in here to get where you want. That's what Jesus is saying about the path that's there. There's, there's, There's just not a lot of wiggle room. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, an episode of Seinfeld. Can, can, can you indulge me here for a moment? I am, yeah, Mom, I saw you roll your eyes there. Um, it reminds me of an episode of Seinfeld. There was an episode where, where Kramer adopts a stretch of highway. He's gonna be the guy that cleans up the litter along this one-mile stretch of highway. Do we have any other sinners in the room who know which episode I'm talking about? Amen and hallelujah. Thank you. Okay, Kramer adopts this this stretch of highway and he's working on it one night and he notices he says, you know, these these lanes that they have, the cars going down are very narrow. They're very restrictive. They're very confining. and So he has the bright idea of taking some black paint and and blacking out the the lane markers on that highway. He tells Jerry, oh, it's beautiful. It's gonna be like first class seating on an airplane. Extra leg room, extra wiggle room. It's gonna be the most luxurious stretch of highway in all of New York. A night later, late at night, Elaine is driving down that very stretch of highway all alone, and she sees that suddenly the lane markers are gone. and She drives across. She says, "Ooh, my! How luxurious!" And she kind of weaves back and forth. Ooh, ah, it's so luxurious. And predictably, of course, this leads to all sorts of trouble. And you know, there you have a show about nothing. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. The path is confining. It's confining. It's not luxurious. The path isn't one on which you can stretch out and crack your back and crack your knuckles and just enjoy the comforts, all of the creature comforts. Jesus' point is that actually, if you on your journey of life are looking for luxury, comfort, ease, You're not likely to find it on your way to the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to traveling the path that God chose, the journey is not a comfortable one. The journey just isn't a comfortable one. Now, I wanna be very, very quick because I think we do, right here, need to be very, very careful about how we understand what I just said. Does does this mean that God kind of secretly enjoys our suffering and so he made it a little bit difficult on us because he thought that would be funny, right? Does this mean that Christians are supposed to be miserable? Does this mean that happiness is a sign of spiritual bankruptcy? Of course, that's not what that means. The life of a true Christian ought to be and can be a life of joy. But here's the issue our joy doesn't come from our circumstances, our joy comes from the Holy Spirit. His work within us gives us the ability to be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances. To be joyful in the midst of life challenges, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, there is joy. The Bible says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? That's the sustaining force that we live with. But we do go through those things. And this is why I tend to disagree with preachers who seem to always be talking about living your best life in Jesus. See, my faith has nothing to do with my best life. Do we understand that? My faith has nothing to do with my best life. Following Jesus necessitates me setting aside whatever I think my best life is and choosing instead to live according to the words of my Lord and Savior. And the reality is that that is not always a comfortable journey, but it's a worthwhile one. How many would testify to that today? Look, it's, it's not always a comfortable journey, but it's a worthwhile one. It's a worthwhile one. You know what I think we don't do particularly well today? Sacrifice. I was talking with one of you recently about this. I forget who, you'll tell me later. I, I don't think we do sacrifice very well in our culture, and I'm not picking on the young people or picking on the old people, I'm just saying, in general, we who are alive and drawing breath today, in this world that we live in, we, we don't do sacrifice very well. It seems to me that, at least the way I read about it and hear about it, and to some degree, the way I remember things in a different time, uh, folks used to be more familiar with the discipline involved in doing without going without choosing to go without something that we really did want but doing it in order to achieve a more important goal but the world we live in today doesn't really value that do they Uh, for the most part we've lost touch with the importance of sacrifice we want what we want and we want it now and if we can't afford it that's fine put it on the credit card And I'm not just talking about tangible things. I'm not just talking about finances here. I'm saying in general, we tend to not be very good at sacrificing and saying I'm just going to do without what I want. I'm just gonna do without what makes me comfortable. I'm just gonna do without the thing that I think I deserve or that I need. We often mortgage the future for the comfort of the present and we simply aren't willing to go without. And the problem here, the problem is that in the Christian life, the path toward the kingdom of heaven is a path of sacrifice. And we don't like that. What did Jesus say elsewhere about this path? He said, "Take up your cross and follow me." He didn't say, "Take out your credit card and follow me." Right? He didn't say, "String up your hammock and follow me." He said, "Take up your cross." And follow me. I want you to hear me say this. You are not called to die on that cross. Jesus did that once and for all. Amen? But we are called to carry the cross. We are called to carry the cross. And carrying a heavy, rough-hewn cross is anything but comfortable. And allowing our sinful human nature to be put to death on it, even less so. It's no wonder that so few people stay on the narrow path. Is anybody feeling encouraged yet? I hope we get there by the end. (laughs) The wide path in Jesus's picture is so much more inviting, isn't it? And the wide open gate at the end of that path, it looks so nice and so welcoming. Where do you suppose that it leads? Well, Jesus told us, it was back in verse 13. Let me reread it for you. He said, so wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Can you hear the record screech as he says that? (laughs) Many enter through it. This is where we get back to that issue of following the crowd. Pay attention to the image Jesus has given us. Where on this image, with the path and the gate and the door and the narrow and all that stuff, where's the crowd? Where's the crowd? Where are they headed? And is that really where you and I want to be? Jesus says, no, the crowd is likely going the wrong way. Find yourself in a position in life where you're trying to make a choice and you see the world headed in one direction, your spidey sense ought to tingle. Crowd's likely headed the wrong way. The crowd is likely headed The wrong way. This is really the heart of the gospel message. When it comes down to it, the gospel, every time I say the word gospel, I want you to hear the words good news. It's literally what it means, right? The gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. The gospel is not a particular set of beliefs. It's not a particular set of practices. It's not a moral code. If it were any of those things, I think it would be far more popular, frankly, than it is. The gospel of Jesus is the insistence that the kingdom of God has arrived and has overthrown and overcome the kingdoms of this world. It's the insistence that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, is Lord over that kingdom and that we have been invited to participate with him in that reign. Did you hear what I just said? The gospel of Jesus is a revolutionary call. It's not comfortable. Do we have uh, ladies around fans in the room today? Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Do you hear the people sing, sing the songs of angry men? You know, anger is a whole other issue. We need to preach that another day. But that is the revolutionary call of the gospel of Jesus. It is an uprising against the powers of this world and it ain't going to be comfortable. The gospel of Jesus is counter-cultural in every sense of the word. It has nothing to do with the crowd. It shouts out to the world that death and disease have no authority over me. It exclaims that Jesus is Lord and the power mongers of this world are not. It insists that the full life that we were created to live is found on the other side of an executioner's cross. It's absurd. The gospel is irrational. It's preposterous. It's even offensive. So, if you're looking for a faith that will fit in well with the life you've always known, Christianity probably isn't for you if you're seeking the kind of religion that will make the road in front of you a little bit easier, you aren't going to find that in the way of the cross. If you're in search of a moral code that will unlock all the creature comforts of a life well lived, Jesus probably isn't your guy. But, if you've struggled with your faith, and I mean really wrestled with it, contended with Jesus? Because you could never figure out just how exactly what he was saying was supposed to fit in with life as you've come to understand it. If the most sincere decisions that you've ever made to submit your life to Jesus didn't make things easier, but actually only opened up even more challenges to your human nature and everything that you thought you knew. And if you've ever had the distinct impression that choosing to follow Jesus, I mean really follow Jesus. Remember when he said, what if what if what he says is true? If you've ever had the impression that doing so might mean leaving behind some of the things that are most familiar to you, congratulations. You found the narrow road. The narrow road that leaves life. I wanna give you one more image, but as I do so, I'm gonna ask you to grab your communion emblems. If you didn't get them on the way in, the ushers will come and bring you one now. Parenthetically, we also have a gluten-free option available on that back table if you'd like to grab one. Jim, I'm gonna need one because I forgot to grab my own as well. As you hold on to this communion emblems. Thanks, buddy. I wanna give you one more image in your mind's eye. I want you to imagine a a busy city. It's the holiday season, so it's busier even than usual. And a group of friends who have been traveling together for a number of weeks, uh, they arrive and they find a deal on a rented room that they can use to kind of share the, the holiday meal. I imagine that the married ones in the group are... Uh, probably wishing that they could just be back home in their own beds, celebrating with their families. But but the journey that they've been on is a long one. So they're nevertheless grateful for this opportunity just, just this night, just to kick back for a little while. And as they're gathering, the leader of the group interrupts all of this boisterous conversation and he commands their attention. And to their surprise... He begins to talk to them about the difficulty of the road that is yet in front of them. He references all the crowds of people that are still out in the city partying late into the night. Uh, They had been welcomed by those crowds earlier, but the leader says, You don't want to be a part of that crowd. Don't mistake their joy. You don't want to be a part of that crowd. He predicts that before long, the crowds are going to turn on their little group. He even makes it sound like things are going to turn violent, even deadly. And then, something absolutely amazing happens. A miracle takes place in that room. Heaven breaks out. Now, there are no visible angels flying around. There's no cosmic throne room filled with incense. There's no streets of gold. It's just the same upper room. It always had been. But in a moment, in an instant, all of a sudden, heaven breaks out. A little piece of heaven. Are you observant enough to see it? Can you notice it? It's a banquet meal. It's a banquet meal. Do you see it? Do you see heaven? Do you see the kingdom that he's been talking about? Can you hear him as the Lord over the banquet says, you know, my people don't have to live like the crowds do. In my kingdom, we just do things differently. Even in the face of death itself, the people of my kingdom can find their seat at the banquet table. Then he says, okay, now everybody here, everybody who gets it, everybody who sees it, take a bite of this bread and commit this moment to memory. And just at the moment that I, I imagine that those guys are thinking, commit this moment to memory? This is getting weird. We're never going to forget this. He says, how about this cup? It's my blood poured out and spilled for you. Ceiling. This new arrangement, this new agreement, this new understanding of what it means to live in the kingdom that my father has prepared for you. Won't you share this cup with me? And when you do it, pause for just a moment and commit this moment to memory. If you've studied Bible history, you know that the meal that Jesus and his followers were sharing that night was a traditional Passover meal. I've learned a little bit about those through the years. I'm no expert. But I imagine that the Passover meal, the way it was shared among that kingdom group in that upper room, looked very, very different from the Passover meals being shared in homes and in other places throughout the city that night. It didn't look like the crowd looked. I began by asking you, how many people are gonna go to heaven? I don't know the answer to that. And if you come away from today's message saying, yeah, Dan preached this really weird message where he said most people are losers and they don't really get it, and only a few of us are actually good enough to get in heaven. If that's what you heard me say, I apologize that I didn't do a very good job. That's certainly not what I meant to say. But I hear the voice of my Savior talking about that precious, sacred treasure of the kingdom. And I hear him saying, "Be very, very, very careful about the way you look for it. If you aren't purposeful, if you kind of just go with the flow. Chances are excellent you're going to miss out. So be very, very careful and very, very purposeful about seeking out the treasures of my kingdom. I hear Jesus saying as you share this message, be very, very careful about the way you share it. Be very, very careful to be clear in what you're saying. I happen to believe that being a part of a church and being a part of a community of believers is a foundational, important part of finding a life in Christ, of being a citizen of the kingdom, right? I happen to believe that it's not something that can be done well. If you say, well, it's just about me and my personal relationship. no, 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 no. Jesus visits with us in community. I think that's very, very important. But I don't believe that merely by hanging out is how we realize and achieve and discover all that God has for us. No, I think the road is a little bit more narrow than that. I think it's a little bit more difficult. I asked you a few moments ago, does anybody feel encouraged yet? (laughs) And I got nervous laughter in response. (laughs) Here's where I hope you can pin your encouragement You should never leave church discouraged. The word of God encourages. So here's where I want you to pin your encouragement today. You're allowed to struggle. Amen? You're allowed to struggle. I actually think it's pretty good if you're struggling. I think it's pretty good. You're allowed to struggle in your faith. You're allowed to wrestle with the big questions. You're allowed to goof up and get poked by those bushes a time or two or again. But keep going down that path. Remember when we said, oh, it's not comfortable. But it's so worthwhile. It's so worthwhile. Do not grow weary in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not decide that it is too tough for you to understand. Do not decide that you just don't fit in. Do not decide that it just plain, old ain't worth it. You will have missed out. And if you're here today, I love you. I don't want you to miss out. I wanna cram into coach and I'll even sit in the middle seat if I get to sit with you guys. right, let's board the plane together. Jesus, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the good news that you have given us. Thank you that you don't talk down to us as you present the good news of the kingdom. You say it from the very beginning, it's tough. It's difficult. And what you have offered us, what you have shown us is not a way to make things easier, happier, joy, 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 joy. No, you have said, do you want to sign up for a revolution? It's right there for us. And so we rejoice, Lord, in the good news. We have found it, we have seen it, we have heard it, we have received it. Lord, help us to live it it well. Help us not to be discouraged when we inevitably struggle. Help us not to be discouraged in those moments, but rather be encouraged that this is precisely the life to which we have been called. It doesn't look the way life looks in the rest of the world. It's like if if there's not something wrong with us, then there's something wrong with us. We should be different. We should be different. We're traveling down a different path. We're headed for a different door. We're doing life differently. Oh, forgive us for trying to make it fit in with what we thought we already knew. Forgive us for trying to make it fit in with with the structures, with the rubric of the life that we lived apart from Christ. No, no, no. You've called us to something very, very different. But you have called us. We hear your voice today. And he who calls is faithful. We stand on your faithfulness today. God, would you bless us in these moments that we have together, just like Lord Jesus, you said to your disciples that night, would you help us to just take a mental picture, to remember this moment, to remember this moment. Would you help us to stand, and to build, and to grow as you have called us to stand, and to build, and to grow. Lord, in a few moments, most of us are gonna make our way into the gym and we're gonna have fun and we're gonna laugh and we're gonna eat chili. Would you bless us as we just spend time together? You called us to live together in the community. Help us to do that well. Thank you for your spirit's work in this place. Thank you for the reminder that you are sovereign overall. And God, that means us as well. And so it is in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. And everybody says, Amen. amen, amen.